0: It's time to geek out.
1: Hello and welcome to Geek Out with Matt Navarra, with me, Matt Navarra. And me, Martin SFP Bryant. Now, what happens when you cross a professional news report about a stuck ship on the Suez Canal with a sea shanty? The answer was one of BBC journalist Sophia Smith-Gaylor's biggest hits on TikTok. Yes, Sophia has made a name for
0: herself using TikTok to explain both news stories and how journalism itself works, and she joined us live on Twitter Spaces to talk about her work and her career.
1: And there's far more to her than just a few viral hits, so we chatted about everything from dealing with negativity online to her social media toolkit – This is a really fun conversation if you're interested in how news works on social media and how a new generation of journalists are forging careers that put their own identity front and centre. Sophia has announced that she's leaving the BBC
0: soon for Pastures New, so this was a great time to chat to her. Here's what happened when we spoke to Sophia Smith-Gaylor.
2: Hi, hey, both. How are you doing, Matt I'm and Martin?
0: Not, I'm good. I'm, I'm reeling on the news that your life is changing. But we're going to come on to all of that in a minute because you've got some all sorts of things going on in your world. But um, but yeah, what's uh, what's the week been like for you today? Have You started off with a, a usual working week. Or have you had a day off or
2: no? It's been usual working week. The last fortnight, I've been on and off with book edits, which has been very exciting. Um, but no, I am I'm back working this week um, on my next couple of uh, BBC radio docs which um are going to be my last uh, for now as uh, uh, well we yeah we're
0: going to dig into all of that stuff but maybe the first thing would be worth starting off with is that i've got a little bit of a background on on what you've done up until now and you can correct me and us if we're wrong in any of these so you, you did a master's is that right in broadcast journalism in london is that right
2: yes i did yes
0: and you started doing work for the bbc was that kind of your first job out of that kind of studies or did you do other things before then
2: it was my first proper job, as it were. But um, before I'd left that master's, I had done a couple of cool other things. I'd worked on a, a BBC One documentary. Um, I'd spent some time with NBC's London Bureau as well. Uh, that was all during the master's. But yeah, my first proper job was social media producer at bbc.com.
0: And what does that involve then? When, because the job title social media producer could be construed as many things. Is that basically a journalist, but it's geared towards content that goes on social or is it a specific aspect of the production of news for social? How, you know, tell us a bit about that.
2: Yeah, so it was specifically for so BBC.com straddles the US and UK. And I was working for the two feature sites that are in the UK which are BBC Culture and BBC Future. And the job before me, uh, it was uh, two different people held those roles, and I was the first to do both of them uh, in my role together. And it meant that the work was really varied because I had to make um, social media content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for both of those verticals. So nice, you know, Future covers tech, science, Lots of random things like psychology, the world of tomorrow and culture, pretty self-explanatory. It would be music, arts, literature. So it was really varied. And I would, a lot of my job would be figuring out ways to promote text, these text features on social media. Um, It would be working with video producers to maybe make some videos out of text features we anticipated would do well uh, as, as social video. Um, and then like you say, I did a lot more than that. I, I wrote features myself. I made videos myself. Um, it was a bit of a mix. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so then you moved on, it worked for the world service. And, and Mariah is Mar- Mar- saying also that for that, your job title changed again. And it was more of a visual journalist. Is that what they call it at the BBC?
2: Yes. Uh, visual journalist. Um, and it is depend, like it does change what that means. So some people who are visual journalists at the BBC actually deal with Visualizing data. That was not my job. Uh, Really, I was just more (laughs) of a a video journalist. So it was, it's my job to make sure that Heart and Soul, the religion documentary strand of the BBC World Service, has a digital presence. Um, So sometimes that means making a video for them. Sometimes that um, it might not be making a video, but it would be sort of creating Instagram content for it, just finding a way, or even if it's just an interesting way to tweet it out. Just finding a way for it to reach digital audiences because obviously it's already reaching radio audiences.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then you, so you worked quite heavily on the, the sort of faith content for the BBC, didn't you? And sort of some of the user generated stuff and particularly around like an, the Instagram account for BBC World. Was it for BBC World that you were doing that for? Or was that, or was it one BBC, of the subred-
2: Yeah, BBC World Service uh, right. is who it was for. Um, yeah. And they, I pitched that Instagram account in my, job interview so it didn't right.
0: exist before I came and how did you approach that because the topic of religion is always a contentious one <laughs> I know I put some of the content that talks about things to do with politics or religion in my Facebook group I'm always a bit like oh, if, unless this is a really important story it's going to cause a lot of friction and a lot of tension there's a lot of polarization so that must have been quite a, a challenging role I would imagine or did you find it easier than you imagined like dealing with the topic of faith uh, on social
2: You are right that especially in comment sections, it can drive some vitriol. Mm. But I think it's also because of the kind of stories that I do. They're not necessarily on the diary kind of news stories, that that it's slower journalism. It's more featurey documentary. um, And by nature of Heart and Soul being a doc program, um, I think we do sometimes avoid that like really nasty side of the Internet. Um, yeah, but with Instagram, my strategy was use uh, BBC Wealth Service and other BBC outlets content that was around religion, spirituality, and complement that with content that was simply it only ever went out on our Instagram account. So sometimes that would be Instagram bespoke. Films I'd make or posts I'd do, or I remember in the very beginning, I would do seasons. So each month we'd focus on something different, be it sacred music, be it faith and fashion. Um, And I would try and involve people who are influencers in the religious space to get involved with the Instagram account um, and as a way to grow it early on.
0: And was BBC pretty good with that in terms of kind of giving you some level of autonomy in terms of letting you put your own kind of thoughts into that? Or, or is, is it quite bureaucratic and then it's quite difficult in, the, in that sort of environment with BBC compared to maybe a Sky News or, or another sort of more sort of profit-driven uh, organisation? How, how's that been?
2: I I, um, I was given a lot of freedom with that Instagram account and I really enjoyed it. And it wouldn't have grown Uh, at the rate that it did if I didn't have that freedom. Uh, So I had a really great time running
0: it. Uh, well, I, I think what we I guess we should ch- talk a little bit about is TikTok because I guess <laughs> most people are familiar with a lot of the stuff that you've done in, in relation to TikTok, whether it's because you've talked about and the, um, the platform or you've done something on the platform yourself and you've you know been in, in the news in relation to TikTok. So I guess one of the questions I want to ask you about is kind of um, how much of your ro- role now revolves around like the, the, that specific platform, or do you treat it more as social platforms more broadly, and it just happens to be that TikTok for you is one that you favor and find it most interesting you know where does it sit amongst the the mix of things
2: it's really difficult to answer that really because especially as i'm in this weird life limbo at the moment and it's all probably about to change slightly
1: yeah um
2: but i mean up until now it's been this bizarre platform that has provided me with so much so many ideas such a big audience that i never thought i would really be able to access certainly not at this stage in my career uh, this early on uh however it is the one app that i use day to day which the bbc is not on uh, bbc editorial news content that is so, why is that oh i don't know that's so pay <laughs> hey, grade matt i wouldn't know
1: <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> martin yeah, so so how did you break through on TikTok? Was there one video that kind of clicked with the audience and you thought, oh, I'm onto something here?
2: The first video I made was all because I had heard about TikTok. I'd been on there for a few days, weeks, thought, oh, yeah, this is fun. And at the time, it was so nascent. Um, I was the only person my age who I knew had even gone on it out of curiosity. Um, and I, you know, as a video journalist, I just thought "Mm, I should know what this is about. Just in case the BBC comes Mm -hmm. on here, I should know how it works. I don't want to I don't suddenly have to use it for work and look like an idiot. So I started making um, a video which was based on a trend that I'd seen. uh, And that's because I'd spent time on TikTok and I saw a number of people doing the same audio meme. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll do it. I did it. And it blew up and it gave me I think I got 4000 followers just from that one video over a short space of days and i just kept making them anyone who's ever gone viral before knows that the hit of virality is infectious so mm-hmm. you get it and then you think god i want to do it again i want that to happen again um and so when you have a video tank you think oh no you know <laughs> you get really upset and then and you have a video do really well Uh, It feels deeply gratifying and validating. So that's basically what kept me on there. And then the longer time I spent on there, the more I realized that, oh, this could be useful. This could be a useful journalistic tool for me. It's not just something to have fun on. And obviously, over the past couple of years, we have really seen it become an app that provides us with so many different types of content, increasingly Lots of it is very creative, very engaging, very informative. Um, It's not simply a place where we joke around or we share um, sort of relatable content. It's also very much become an information space, an information sharing space.
0: Is the, is the instance of going viral on TikTok, do you think it's different? There's something about it that's somewhat unique compared to going viral with a tweet on, on Twitter. And, and and second part to that question, do you think that TikTok is somewhat unique amongst the social platforms, particularly in your world of, of social in, in journalism? Is there something special about it, or is it just another social platform?
2: I can, this is completely based on my personal experience. So other people may have found something different, but I have found that I, in terms of reaching an audience that is not yet connected to me, i.e. they may not already follow me. They may not even follow any of my acquaintances. For me to reach them rapidly, I know that, oh, if I make a good enough TikTok, I'll reach them and I'll reach them within a day, two days. Mm. Um, I, I know that a tweet or instagram post wouldn't necessarily deliver me um what i'd want which would be a lot of people getting in touch with me um or even a lot of people simply sharing something that could then lead me on to the next tip and the next tip after that Mm. um so so it's that speed that is very efficient for me Mm. um that being said that this that only comes with having developed a profile on there, which is not efficient. It's a lot of it's a lot of work every day, um, go ahead, go ahead. or every week. Yeah. So uh, what's what, tricky?
1: Yeah. And what's cut through the most for you? Then what's what's the video that you think has cut through the most for you and been most successful in terms of its impact? I suppose both on TikTok and beyond, because these things reach out. And you know, I've seen your stuff far more on Twitter, I suppose, than I have on TikTok. So um, because people have shared it and go, "Hey, check out this."
2: Yeah, and I deliberately don't share most of my TikToks on Twitter because Mm. that's how I work out who's actually following me on TikTok or not. (laughs) Um, And I even, even on Instagram, I don't. I often don't share a lot of my TikTok content either. Um, There are two ways that I measure impact with TikTok, and again, it's dependent on on various things that I like to do. And I appreciate the same video doesn't necessarily achieve all these different things that I like to do. So you could make a video that gets you loads of new followers, but it may not necessarily, um, help me with the story that I'm currently working on, for example. Mm-hmm. However, it's all useful. It's all beneficial to, to me growing my audience and that audience being there when I do have a new story, or when I do need new information. Um, so, if we take an example that put me on people's radar, like the Suez Canal Sea Shanty, is a really brilliant example of that. Um, it put me on such a big, um, you know, megaphone that <laughs> it got me on the on the front page of Egypt's uh, news most read newspaper. It got me on Greg James's Ridge one. Breakfast
1: <laughs> I remember this. Show. Yeah, like
2: if you'd said to me, Sophia, figure out a way for you to get your journalism on. Um, the front page of an Egyptian newspaper and Greg James's show, I'd have been like, uh, gosh, what am I going to have to do to do that? Well, it was a Suez Canal c Um, But then there are other videos that I've made that ha- have had maybe 30,000 views, 40,000 views. Natively, there is no way I'd get that amount of views with a Twitter video, um, even though I have, you know, a not completely tiny Twitter following. But if I if I just put a video out there, it would get maybe 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 views if I'm lucky, if it didn't go viral. Um, on TikTok, 30,000 views. And if it's about quite a niche topic where I'm inviting people to say, hey, I'm working on this. I'd love to talk to people who have a relevant experience. They'd be happy sharing. That can deliver me so many DMs, even though it only has 30,000 views. Um, And in that respect, that's very useful to me. So it really differentiates for me um, what a useful or, or good TikTok can be.
0: So in terms of like approaching news then, um, as a journalist that predominantly uses or likes to use social platforms, is the process for those of us who are uninitiated with the, the, the world of creating a news story for the BBC or any of these news publishers? Is there a, a quite a different approach to it? Um, what the coming up with the idea, developing the idea, producing it for 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 use on whatever platform if you know from the outset that this is you know one that you can see or aiming it to be a successful piece that is geared towards say tiktok is there a difference in the approach and if so could you help us understand how you know how you approach it differently what things do you consider um when you're when you go through the process
2: that's a really good question um there are different things that you could do if you've noticed that there's a particular topic that loads of people on TikTok seem really invested in and are talking about. It, it, that, it seems smart to think, oh, well, they're talking about it in this way. However, they haven't covered this part of the conversation um, and perhaps they haven't covered this part of the conversation because... They haven't been able to directly speak to an expert, for example. So mm-hmm. your additional value that you can provide, for example, as a public service broadcaster, would be right. Let's let's bring something into this conversation that they're not already talking about. But um, they are hyper engaged, and they'll appreciate it. it. It will give them some new information, and that they're more likely to engage and share it. Um, one example is I made a video about forced marriage, and that that used a TikTok. Uh, creator who had gone viral on the platform Um, and he still isn't a massive creator on there or anything, but there will be people who remember his video because it was so moving. Mm. Um, So including him as, as the author of the film again, uh, drove some engagement. Um, Really, I would suggest because most people won't necessarily be able to spend the time to look on TikTok for case studies and contributors. Um, It is smart to spend time on there and at least see simply what people are talking about. And then very quickly you'll start to see, ah, they're really interested in this. And if you're thinking, oh, well, I want to do a report on this, but no one's talking about it on there, chances are it's because younger audiences aren't that interested in it. Um, Or maybe it's simply never been served to them in a way that's actually relevant to their lives.
0: Because one of the challenges that the news publishers face at the moment, or you hear a lot talked about, is is reaching younger audiences. And you look at the Reuters digital news reports, and you see um, lots of coverage uh, in, in the world of journalism about how do you reach that you know these younger audiences who are heavy, heavy, or heavier users of social platforms, who are disenfranchised, disengaged in in news media. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of the possible reasons for that later on. I've got a couple of questions I wanted to ask you, but you know, um, what you know. What sort of things do tend to work well on platforms? Is it as easy as saying, well, if it's TikTok, then stories that are about A, B, C, D, they're, they're going to reach people, younger audiences there really easily. But topics like this, isn't, they're not going to work so much. Is it is it as clear cut as that? Or is it more about just the style? And it doesn't matter about what the story is about. It's the way that you deliver it.
2: I was going to say, I don't think it's to do with topics, to be mm. honest. I think it's far more... Style wise, um, I I do genuinely believe there is something in every topic to make it interesting to younger audiences. And if not, you know, all younger audiences, at least a niche within younger audiences who who are only going to encounter that content content on their social media platform because they're not interested in consuming your you know they don't go to your website they don't buy your paper they don't listen to your radio station like they're not going to find it that way so the only way it's going to get to them is on a social media platform um style wise we do know that people uh, from that digital news report we know that twitter is realistically the only app that people go to for mainstream news content Mm. for other platforms for for youtube instagram tiktok they go for personalities um and if you look at a number of the i i'd say sort of a couple of on tiktok like leading news creators they they do have personality that they are their face has become their brand attribution um you see their face and you know you're going to learn something new Mm. And that's taken a lot of time for them to build. And obviously you may just like if, if you just like if you loved a morning news program on TV, you can love the program without loving every single story they do. But generally, you probably you know, you're know you engaged in most of them all you know, half of them. It's, it's exactly the same thing with, for example, news accounts and on Instagram and TikTok. tock. Um, You know you're going to learn something new every now and again. You're like, oh, nah that doesn't interest me. But most of the time, you are invested in listening to these people. And if you take the example of TikTok, mainstream journalists are not occupying this space. Uh, They aren't going in there and being personalities. I see a bit of it on Instagram. Um, For some reason, Instagram seems more natural for a lot of us to go on rather than TikTok. Um, You even don't necessarily many on youtube either twitter is the easiest uh possibly because you know it's text-based and you can um push out a few tweets during a busy working day can you push out a tiktok you could, you can if you have a skill set eg you're a video journalist and you you are equipped to pump these things out very quickly but if you're not it really i think it does feel like an awful
1: lot of effort what does your social media toolkit contain? I'm thinking software, hardware. Is it literally just your phone or do you have special microphones and things, special software? What do you use?
2: So I have been thinking that I might amp up what I have. Um, but up until now, I mean, even to make my TikToks, it's incredibly low production and it literally is just my phone. Um, <laughs> And, so, I mean, sometimes I'll also use my AirPods, but otherwise I don't, I don't even have a sort of a microphone. I may get one, though. Um, I'm kind of hoping to make a bit of a better, jazzier setup, um, which yeah. I'll do over the next couple of months. Um, other than that, obviously I have my laptop. Um, for work, I have a camera. I have a Canon 5D. That's what I shoot everything on. Um, and for my radio, I record with an H5 Zoom. And when I, because everything I do generally is very multimedia. So if I'm making radio, I'm also making video uh, and possibly also doing text as well. So I need to make sure that my audio quality, if I'm filming, is good enough for radio. So I generally record my audio externally on the Zoom um, and then I will sync up the audio in the edit with my video and I use Final Cut Pro and that's uh, mainly because that's what I have to use as a BBC journalist because Final Cut Pro is where all our templates live that we use to edit video and make them all look um, in BBC style. So other than that, I'm trying to think... Those I'm, the guessing main tools tweet, I I'm
0: guessing things like TweetDeck and stuff like that are just a standard. But did you use any other publishing tools, or is that all really dictated by what the publisher you work for or uses? Ie, BBC for you is using whatever tools you have to. You kind of follow that lead, I guess.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, I do. I do use tools for my journalism. Um, mm. I do use. I found a really good tool the other day where I could analyze uh, user profiles on Reddit. Um, mm. And I did that. This was for my book. So I did that. T- I gathered a sample of users from a particular subreddit and looked at what other subreddits they um, they were in to see if I could find any kind of connection um, or similar interests. Uh, what other tools there are? Um, what's it called? Is it called What Does the Public Ask the Public? I really like that oh, tool. Um, I
0: don't know if I know that one. I'll to look one up.
2: Google Ngrams, um, Google Trends, they're things I use sometimes just to get it to sort of litmus test whether something's interesting or, or a trend that's changing. Yeah. They're the kind of things that I may use. Um, otherwise, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I use. In terms of like third party tools to analyze how my content's done, um, I don't really have access. Mm. to anything like that not for my personal stuff yeah. um i just i literally just use the in-platform analytics
0: got you martin
1: yeah um shifting gear a little bit um we noticed you're on tiktok's creator council um yeah. just wondered what that is and uh, what does it involve and how did you get involved with it
2: so it sounds very impressive, doesn't it? <laughs> it
1: does. <laughs> um, sounds like a, a table of creators who <laughs> govern all from a big table somewhere in the sky or something. I
2: uh, yeah. I I mean, I was I didn't apply for it or anything. I got an email one day saying we'd love you to join it. And what I do is very very small and not impressive, even though it sounds very impressive. And it's literally um, about I think. Uh, this it's I'm pretty sure it's a six-month post that I'm probably nearing the end of. But all it is is they, um, as creators, we can simply offer our user experience. Um, and it's a space for us to ask for changes if we'd like them. Um, it's a space for TikTok to say, hey, we launched this new feature a month ago. Have you used it? Do you like it? Um, it's basically just a chinwag, um, (laughs) using, I guess, some of our creator expertise and the the creative council that I'm sitting in, I am by far the least, uh, popular. I think I probably have the lowest following amongst all of them. Um, but we all do come from really different niches within, within the creator space, which is what I think is quite interesting about being in it. Um, but Yeah. I did get to speak at a TikTok festival in London about a month ago and I got to meet some of them in real life, which was really nice Um, because otherwise I don't meet creators day to day. I do not work with other creators in that sense. Of course, everyone I work with is a creator because I think journalists are creators, but um, I don't necessarily surround myself with uh, creators whose lives are completely on these platforms. And I feel like I'm in a weird limbo between the two. Um, so it was really interesting to actually meet some people as well.
0: You just talked about there about features and things. Is there, is there any particular features that you um, have come across that are lacking, things that you think, why have they not got this on, on TikTok or in other platforms, particularly around the work you do uh, in journalism? Is there, is there some obvious ones that you've already shouted about to, to the people at TikTok?
2: Um, I'm trying to think all i'm desperate for at the moment i want um and they will roll out for us they just haven't yet because in the u.s they already have but um automatic captions i have to spend quite a lot of time editing my captions to make sure that they are my videos are more accessible um and that's not only for people who may have i don't know special educational needs but Additionally, I have so many people who follow my content for whom English is not their first language. So having my captions on there is really, really helpful. Um, Just like if I was following like a Spanish influencer, it it would help me as well. Mm. Um, So I just I'd love them to introduce that so I can spend less time and that will make uh, making TikToks take up even less of my time.
0: So, moving away slightly from TikTok, um, but some of the questions that people have asked me, who work in journalism, are are, I think are questions related to newer platforms or newer, uh, newer sort of formats. And one of the ones that's been talked about a lot in the last uh, six to twelve months is is audio. Then we're talking on one of them right now in Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse Um, and there are you know newsletters have had a a, resurgence of interest in it and there's probably a few others that we could think about that are somewhat flavour of the month at the moment for for use of for people consuming content whether it's news or otherwise Um, are these ones that you excite you do you see them as opportunities for journalists that are as as yet untapped because uh, at the moment you know it's still very early on for, for the likes of Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces but to me it seems like quite an obvious and a good thing for for them to try out for for different formats for for content. What what have you made of all of these things that have come out recently?
2: Yeah, I think um, the minute I am less, I am more time rich, because at the moment I'm so time poor with my book. Mm. But the minute my book uh, takes up less of my day-to-day, I got so obsessed with Clubhouse when it did first launch. Um, And you could see in the terms of like battery usage on my phone, the amount of time I was spending on Clubhouse really, really shot up. It was impacting on my Netflix time. It was impacting mm-hmm. on my TikTok time. Um, and that's because a lot of the Clubhouse chats were just really juicy conversations. And they were talking about really important things that I think... Had I tried to make an appointment to listen to them, I would have forgotten about them or something else in my life would have taken priority. But it's the fact that I get a notification that an interesting chat is happening and I would just turn it on um, and have it on in the background, just like radio. <laughs> um but radio doesn't necessarily notify me that there's an interesting chat happening, whereas Clubhouse does. Therefore, I'm more likely, my smartphone habits mean I'm more likely to tap into it. Um, I don't know if it still is compelling because I think I see less people in my social circles talking about Clubhouse now. Yeah. But um, I would, will go back in there. And there is an example in the book where I was on, I was listening to a Clubhouse chat. And I did hear like really wild health misinformation. And because the Clubhouse chat was a very much um, self-confirming space, it, it was a space where everyone was very like-minded. No one in there was going to pipe mm. up and challenge what had been said. Everyone was just going to absorb it as, as truth. Uh, so I think there's probably a lot on Clubhouse that is worth examining. I see so much. Um, there's so much finance chat on there and entrepreneurialism chat. There must be finance scams happening. I just, I haven't looked on there, but there must be.
0: Do you think that there'd be that these audio platforms could be used in a way where there's like a big, like long-running story such as, I don't know, COVID's maybe not the best example from what I'm thinking of, but certainly a story that is in, in the news cycle frequently and it hasn't got a distinct end date, so it's rolling news, um, where journalists will find ways to use audio as a way of jumping in, bringing people that are involved in the story, getting it, making it happen live and just having those live discussions. Do you see that as a way that audio could be used in, in the news production or in, for some of these news companies, or, or is it something that you just don't think is going to be wetting the appetites of people or it's too tricky to organise or it doesn't make sense with all the other things that a journalist might have to do? Because to me, it seems like a, an obvious thing that they might try and do as a journalist.
2: I don't know. I would counter that and say, why does the company have to do it? Why can't individual mm. journalists do it? Um, I think the minute the, the company does it... Um, I don't know if that is in line with these personality trends that we're seeing.
0: Well, and then that leads into a relevant question. And that's the question around creators, because one of the things that has changed over the last 12 months um, significantly is this role of the creator, the buzzword creator economy, and then all these monetization tools. And then we've seen a lot of journalists or at least a number of journalists jump into a kind of ind- more independent role. So they've got their own Substack, they've got their own kind of paid for community they've developed and their own personal brand. You know, I would say someone like Taylor Lorenz shares a lot of similarities in many ways with the things that you do you know in terms of works and journalism is very much a heavy user of social you know is big and into tiktok and in that kind of that whole environment um but that that, that causes quite a lot of friction, I would imagine, with with between the journalist and the, the employer who's giving them the, the you know, opportunity to, to write for them or whatever. Um, do, you, do you see that as a big shift, or do you think this is just a small thing that can run neatly alongside people's jobs whilst working for a BBC or a, a New York Times, or do you think there is there's friction that's going to continue to cause trouble there for people who want to create a personal brand, like the, your own personal brand versus that of, of BBC or whoever you work for? And just, I'd be interested to get your views on, on that shift in, in the way that people operate now in that space.
2: Yeah, I would instinctively see this new space as really good news for freelancers and people with multi-hyphenate careers um, who perhaps work for some of these major outlets, but not necessarily full-time. That's where I see some of these spaces being most useful. It is inevitable obviously that if you work for a major outlet and you work for them full time and all of your content is going to be kind of associated with them it it, it makes sense And it's in many cases you know it's right that there is some um you know you need to have some boundaries but I, i i i think it offers so many opportunities for people who aren't journalists um and who don't come from the places that do traditionally get all the power and access to use these tools and be heard. That's what's so exciting about it. And that's not a new conversation. I remember when I first entered journalism, people were talking about citizen journalism. Um, and that's something that's been around that's far predated social media. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is a tricky one. But just because there's friction doesn't mean that you can't innovate.
0: Yeah, I think it, it certainly seems like some of the f- forward thinking, maybe that's the politest way, nicest way of sort framing it. Uh, publishers are trying to find working relationships or working models that allow for the independence of the writer to create uh, a brand for themselves, which inevitably will generate you know more page views, more listens, more views, whatever it is that they're hoping to gain from having you know this person write for them or or present for them, um, building. That and helping them build a brand around that. Because personalities are what sells news more than, than many other things these days. So uh, to me, it makes sense. But I, I but I can certainly see some sort of legacy publishers struggling with that the concept of having uh, someone who's got their own brand and, and maybe monetizing it and finding a way to make a, a side hustle alongside their job as a paid-for employed member of, of, the, of the journalist team. But but um but Martin, there were some other topics we were going to pick up as well, because I'm conscious that we've been speaking for like 10 or 15 minutes into the second stand. <laughs> this and I don't want to keep Sophia longer than maybe she she needs to so what else will we go on this
1: yeah yeah so we um are in the age of misinformation and fake news and and all of that and uh, you joined the BBC while that had already kind of kicked off with the election of uh, Donald Trump. And uh, so you've maybe got a different perspective on this than someone who's maybe been in journalism for years and looks at this and goes, oh, uh, we've lost all trust of our audience and and, and that kind of thing. So I just wonder what your perspective is on keeping audience trust especially when you look at social media and you look at uh, even the um, the BBC's misinformation reporter just gets a load of abuse about um, how um, you know how, how what they're saying is misinformation even though they're reporting on misinformation so it's a complex minefield and uh, how do you approach that
2: um it's tricky because I I don't – I am not someone who generally faces much online abuse um, and I don't generally – I'm also not actually employed to be a reporter. So I'm not a Mm. news reporter technically. All the news reporting I do has been outside the remit of my role. Um, But certainly in times when I have done reports – if, if someone does message something that's a bit nasty, I always counter it with kindness and more information. Um, I don't believe in kind of being snide and mean and how can you think that? That's stupid. <laughs> like that will never be me. Um, and I have always with my videos um, that I've made for heart and soul. Um, after I've published the videos, I do spend time in the comments sections And if I see people sharing things that are just really, really wrong and inaccurate about a faith group, I will reply. I will say, hello, I made this video. Actually, blah, 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 blah. Mm.
1: Um,
2: Have a nice day. (laughs) Uh, Again, I I don't want to ever be seen as being, it's not only about being seen as mean. I don't want to be seen as patronizing as well, um, because often that's not how you're going to persuade someone into um reading your fact uh and you know absorbing it and hopefully not sharing misinformation again but i would say what i try to do and very much part of why i am on tiktok is that people get to know me and they have a direct they feel like they have a direct relationship with me and that for example if something really um bad or, or simply mad happened in their lives, they would feel like they could tell me about it. Um, and while that's not necessarily about countering misinformation, that is about building trust. I think we do need to think about building trusting relationships that aren't necessarily about countering misinformation. Building trust is also how we we tell better stories. Full stop. Because more people will talk to us, more people will um, be happy sharing something with us, and they're not, and they're going to know that. Um, In speaking to us, we also, you know, protect them in some way. We aren't going to take advantage. Um, So for me, trust is actually more about that than it is about um, explicit countering misinformation. However, in in my future career and changing job roles, that might change. And I may see that challenge as actually um, taking up more of my time. But for now, it's more about simply connecting with people.
0: Um, yeah. what, one of the other areas of concern that we were just going to pick up on before we wrap things up today is and this discussion around the topic that comes up every time you speak about Facebook or TikTok and Twitter and social media, and that's its role, uh, its somewhat negative uh, role it plays in society and, and the dangers it presents, particularly to young and vulnerable users and what their level of responsibility is as a, as a company, but also how much actually should we be laying at the door of, of a Facebook or a TikTok in terms of the concerns we have around polarization and many other these other topics we've sort of touched on in the last 20 minutes or so but you, you know you operate in this space as, as, as much as any journalist does and also uh, I'm sure have a view on on these platforms I just wonder what your take is on on kind of the real and present danger these platforms present to to certainly to younger audiences, um, and also how much responsibility do you think they have as as companies versus maybe parents and teachers have versus governments and regulators? So, just wanted to get your spin on on that, having been in this space for some time and, and, and reported on it. I guess.
2: Um, I I this is a very uh, impartial answer, but I think everyone could be doing a bit better that is what I think that's my honest opinion everyone from from the people with the highest and greatest amounts of power to Joe blogs who sees a nasty comment online um, and doesn't bother reporting it when they could be reporting it um, in my I can personally I can speak speak from um, the more I've reported on all of this the more I've become an active but I don't know if this is the right way to describe it but like a, a a, a bystander, but an active bystander. So, if I do see a nasty comment online, it's irrelevant that it wasn't directed at me. I still report it. Um, I don't know if people get taught at school, at, you know, at schools now, that that should be something that you do. I think we talk a lot about reporting abuse, like report abuse directed at you, and it's like yes, we do need to do that, but we also need to make sure that other people um, are happy and healthy as well um so i think everyone
0: do you think we're everyone expecting too much people. of them do you think do you think the media criticizes social media platforms too much and do you think that we as a society or as a, or as individuals are expecting or have unrealistic expectations of what can be done in terms of the issues such as you know trolling and, and, and abuse of people and harassment and things like that yeah uh, what, what's your take on that
2: i 100 percent agree with that because I think that obviously the things that are going to make news stories are often negative. Um, And even if I look at my own life, the role that the Internet has played in making parts of my life so much better, my health, my relationships, my access and knowledge about my own human rights, um, I have gained from the Internet. Connectivity, meeting people, uh, learning languages, all of these things have been infinitely improved by being able to find community online in a way that I can't find in my physical life. Or I can find it in my physical life, but to a limit. Um, And there's only so much time in the day, especially for me. And the Internet really helps me max out my life as much as I possibly can. Um, I really grew up with the internet. I can remember my earliest friendships and relationships really being informed and shadowed by the internet. And as much badness as it causes, my life has really been infinitely improved by all the wonderful connections that I have been able to make. Um, I would not, I possibly wouldn't even be a journalist without it. Um, and I wouldn't be the journalist that I am without it either.
1: That's such an optimistic uh, kind of... It old, is. So it lucky. really is. I, and, I love it. <laughs> that, that's the kind of attitude people had to the internet uh, and to social media 10 years ago. And we've lost that. And it's great to see that people, even though we don't hear it shared that much, that pe- some people still think that. That's That's great to hear. Absolutely, it does, and actually, as we're
0: wrapping some of these bits and pieces up, because um, I think we've got like a couple of minutes, and I'm going to let Sophia uh, have the rest of her day to herself. Is you know, what, who are the people that you you excite you online at the moment? You know, can, uh, in whether it's because they're doing amazing journalistic-y things, they're just um, incredible creators, or they're people that are telling really important stories. You, you're in and around this stuff all day long. So you'll be as good as anyone to to tell us who who should be inspiring us or who is inspiring you. Who, who should we look for?
2: I mean, you compared me to Taylor earlier, and I died because I'm in love with Taylor. I just think her journalism is amazing. <laughs> She's great. She's um, pretty awesome. So from a journalistic perspective, she is who I aspire uh, to be more like. Um, if I speak about creators, I mean, my For You page on TikTok, because I look for content that informs me, mm. um, I get fed it, which is very nice. So um, there's a great creator on there called Benji who talks a lot about um systemic racial injustice and, and the ha- how to meet it and compute it in day-to-day life I've really benefited from. He's an excellent example of um, TikTok style uh, and how that can work well. Um, gosh, who else? Um...
0: What about also about publishers? For, for those who are kind of like maybe fed up with kind of following one particular news publisher and they're not getting that kind of the sort of source the, the quality of the news that they want or want a different take and a different spin on it are there other we will assume that you think bbc is the best thing ever but sorry from bbc <laughs> can you tell us sort of, some of some of the um, publishers that you follow or maybe some of the journalists that other than taylor of course that you you find quite good on, on these platforms at the moment?
2: Hmm. Got to be honest, I get most of my news from social media. I do not follow publishers. Um, I, if I wasn't a journalist, I'd be a massive news avoider. Yeah. I, I am really a person of my generation. I, I probably wouldn't see a lot of it. Um I subscribe to the New York Times.
0: Would you say, do you think that's actually a, something that is a generational thing then in the sense that me, me I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, not much, a little bit. <laughs> but I certainly, you know, will gravitate to certain news publishers and increasingly now in the last few years, individual writers and reporters as well. Um, and so I will think of like now this or, or an Al Jazeera or a BBC or a Sky, whatever. Um, but it sounds to me, having spoken to yourself and a few other people, in I guess in your generation of people, that it's more, more about the, uh, the, the stories and the individuals and it's, it's the brand of the news and maybe the, the kind of uh, the thing that overrides it is, is less important. It's more about individuals. And it, I don't know if that is a generational thing or whether it's a shift in just way we all consume news. I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
2: Uh, I do think some of it is generational because even when I speak to friends of mine who aren't journalists, um, they are kind of semi-religious fanatics of certain podcasts which I think is a bit like what you're describing as well. I used to be too, but none of the podcasts that I listened to, again, were newsy, and um, they were always comedians. Um, I also have a lot of friends who follow YouTubers, and I am increasingly following more YouTubers who who share interesting content that is newsy, but they're, again, not journalists, but they are filmmakers. Um. So you could be onto something there. Um, But I, I really don't know how much of it is informed by my job um, that makes me, you know, not a reflective representative sample.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, um, I'm conscious of the time. And so that maybe you could just quickly tell us a bit about what's coming up for you then, because I know that you're leaving the, um, the BBC and you're not quite yet revealed your full plans, but you've also got <laughs> this book that you're writing and there's a, probably lots of other bits and pieces. So, so what does take up your time at the moment or what is it your, your people, where people can find you and what you're doing?
2: Yeah. So you can, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, they're the places that are most active. Um, The book is taking up most of my time and that's going to be out in January. And it's uh, published by HarperCollins called Losing It, Dispelling the Sex Myths That Rule Our Lives. And it's me um, investigating and debunking lots of the sex myths that have been handed down to us, either by uh, faith or cultural backgrounds or even um, medical myths um, that have perpetuated despite studies coming out and, and debunking them, um, which has been thrilling to write and is full of internet culture things. So, How, how did you get to write that? Like
0: it. Sorry. How, did you, how did you come to write and decide that that was something you wanted to write about and it was substantial enough for you to write about? Where, where did that interest come from?
2: Yeah, it began as I got approached to write a book, which is very exciting. Um, but that happens to a lot. I've discovered that happens to a lot of people, but then getting a successful book proposal is not what happens necessarily. So I'm really fortunate that I had wonderful support from my editor, Grace Pangeli. But um, originally it was going to be a book about virginity. And this idea, it, in my research, I came to learn and understand how, wow, actually virgini- virginity is this sort of destructive origin myth that we're first told about sex. And then as we go through our lives and reach sexual maturity, you sort of learn, actually, what is this all about? I've been fed lots of lies. Uh, I also don't necessarily have access to an ethical, pleasurable sex life. And it turns out it's because of all, the, all these things I've been told that simply aren't true. Um, so some of it is informed by personal experience, uh, but mainly it's informed by all these interviews that I've been doing around the world with um, everyone from hymen repair surgeons to pornographers to uh, a lot of doctors and sex therapists, but mainly normal people just trying to lead happy, normal lives uh, and sort of being confounded by all this misinformation they've been given. Um, But yeah, other than that, Uh, I'm, I'm sort of tidying those edits up. I'm getting excited for my new role. Um, there'll be news about it soon. Hopefully. Um, I am still a reporter. So if you have, if anyone has something that they think they'd love me to cover, um, I'm always here ready to report on new stories, um, and look for new stories ahead of my new job as well. Um, so it's a lot of change. hope I will be TikToking. I'll continue to TikTok and Instagram and reddit and discord and maybe try twitch it depends how much time i have in the day yeah. but um yeah it's still it's still <coughs> social media the social media side of my journalism is not going to stop if anything it's going to get bigger
1: thanks to sophia for taking the time to talk with us that was a lot of fun we'll be back soon with our next interview when we'll be talking to david carroll and carol cadwalader from activist group the self-styled real facebook oversight board look out for
0: that soon in the meantime, don't forget that you can join the Geekout community by searching for the Social Media Geekout group on Facebook. And why not subscribe to my Geekout newsletter with all the week's social media news and discussion in your inbox for free every Friday?
1: Or my newsletter, Tech Revolution, which brings you all of the most important tech news from the week if you want to understand the future. I make sense of the biggest, most impactful stories to help you understand what's coming next.
0: Links to all of those are in the show notes for this episode. We'll be back soon, but for now, goodbye geeks.